Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hello, welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. I'm Janelle, and we are Be Her Village. We're an online gift registry where expectant parents can register for the support they need for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So just like your standard registry where you're asking people to help pay for your high chair or a lifetime supply of newborn-sized diapers... With Be Her Village, you can register for your support, like doulas, childbirth ed classes, or even sleep. Yes, sleep. Sleep is one of those topics that everyone has an opinion about, and wrapped up in those opinions are a lot of strong emotions about sleep. Do you sleep train? Do you co-sleep? Do you not sleep train? And on and on. So on today's episode, Caitlin McGrayas, the founder of Be Her Village, is talking with Elizabeth Green of Early Parenting Sleep Support to talk about sleep. She refers to herself as a sleep doula and that what she does with families she works with is called sleep learning, not sleep training. She wants mothers and parents to feel like they're getting their own needs met as they move through parenthood, and we all know that moms do better when they actually get some sleep. Elizabeth works with parents from right where they are to help them achieve their sleep goals that they set for their family, and no, the goal isn't for each baby to sleep straight through the night for 12 hours. So if you want to put sleep on your registry, you can when you use BeHerVillage.com, and I'll link all of Elizabeth's info in the show notes as well. So as always, we are grateful for your support. Please share this episode with somebody who is expecting a baby or someone you know who is dealing with some sleep struggles, and don't forget to let them know about BeHerVillage.com. Enjoy the episode. I'm Elizabeth Green, and... I'm an early parenting educator and infant and toddler sleep consultant and coach. How did you become that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, it's a good question. And um, I I think about it, uh, actually, I think about it often just because it's been such a a winding road for for 35 years, actually almost 40 years, which is kind of hard to believe, but um, yeah, I started out, um, I got a degree in early childhood education and development and really was drawn to the infants and toddlers. That was right from the get-go. That was what, what I was interested in is spending time with babies and with toddlers and their parents and um, started running support groups um, pretty soon after I finished college. And then went on to um, work as a postpartum doula for a number of years and then started teaching classes through Blossom Birth Services in Palo Alto and then became a director at Blossom um, and I was running uh, parent and baby support groups and teaching classes in breastfeeding and childbirth education and a class we called Surviving the First Six Weeks and um, and doing private consults as well. Um, Wore lots and lots of hats at that point in my career. Um, And then went on to do night work um, for families with twins and with with singletons as well. Um, And then moved a couple of times, you know, a lot of movement in there. Um, And then ended up back at Blossom running their their sleep support group. 
and then started doing individual consultations where I was going to people's homes, um, not as a sleep trainer, but as a consultant. So going and helping people figure out what was going on with their baby's sleep uh, or toddler sleep and coming up with a game plan together of how they could work with their little one um, and then staying in touch with them uh, ongoing while they worked on, on their sleep changes. And then, um, and then it all became virtual. <laughs> it, uh, it became a, a virtual gig and, um, and it's been that way for um, a number of years, just uh, on online. Even pre-COVID you've been doing purely virtual visits. Yeah, it was less so before COVID, although I'm, so I was in Santa Cruz for a number of years um, and in the Bay Area in California, and then moved to Connecticut two years ago. Um, so two years ago is really when I started to do more virtual work because I was still had clients in California. And then I started having clients all over the place, um, all over the country. So even before COVID, uh, it, was, it was just working better to, to do online work. Wonderful. So <laughs> I kind of want to start this conversation with recognizing that sleep and baby sleep is, in my experience, purely as a parent. This mm -hmm. is not my doula hat. This is like, as a parent, it is as controversial a topic as vaccines, as mm -hmm. circumcision, as home birth versus, you know, homeschooling, all the, it's like, it is something that can barely be mentioned in a Facebook mom group or in a conversation without judgment, triggering emotional responses and very, very, very strong and divisive opinions on both sides. So I, I welcome that. Let's do it. Let's like, let's talk about infant sleep, mostly because as Be Her Village, you know, constantly tries to pull the spotlight towards mothers, mm -hmm. infant sleep isn't really about the infants, right? Because infants they're fine. They can, and maybe I'm wrong, but they're kind of fine. They'll sleep when they need to sleep. They'll be awake when they need to be awake. But mothers need structure. Mothers need sleep for physical health. And I think possibly more importantly for mental health, for getting back into some sort of rhythm and normalcy. So I would love to have this conversation about sleeping and sleep training and crying it out and what's right and what's wrong and, and what, what side should we all be on? But within the context of, it's not really about the baby. It's never really about the baby. It's about the mother. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what is it like to be a sleep trainer slash sleep consultant slash sleep, you know, fairy godmother in the, in the midst of a culture uh, that's so divided on the topic? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's, and I, again, it's one of those things I think about a lot because there is so much conflicting advice and information and points of view. Um, and, and ultimately really it comes down to what's gonna work for you in your family. I, I really think that there is no one right way to do sleep. It really depends on what's happening in the family, what's happening with mama in particular um, because a lot of the, you know, she's the one that's, that's gone through birth and is um, really in the, on the front line with 
with this ongoing 24 seven kind of care. And that's not to discount uh, spouses, partners, um, part of this. I think that that's also equally important, but I do think that mamas in particular have a tough time of it because they're trying to um, juggle everybody's needs. And if you have a baby who's more fussy and needs a lot of support and mama wants to really be there for that baby. And that means they're up every two hours through the night. And you can do that for a period of time. You can do that. You know, we're, we are strong people, but there's a toll that it takes at a certain point. And whether it's two weeks down the road or two years down the road, um, there's often a point where a mama says, ah, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. This is not sustainable. I can't keep going like this. So my job is really to offer support and guidance. I think of myself as a sleep doula before almost anything else, because that's really what my background is in. And it's, it's not about me telling you, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't do that, your kid won't sleep. It's not, that's not my approach at all. It's what can I do to help you in your situation get what you need so that your needs are in this equation as well. That so. is so important. It's part of what I love about this work is meeting so many people who are, we're all aiming towards the same thing, which is supporting the mother and, and helping women and parents discover their own needs, be in touch with them and, and speak up or take action to get those needs met. Some of us do it through gift registry. Some of us do it through doula work. Some of us do it through sleep training or sleep coaching. Some of us do it through lactation support, but everybody's kind of doing the same thing, which is, which is meeting people where they are and guiding them through because there's not really a ton of guidance, right? Like we don't learn about this <laughs> as children. We don't learn this in school. Nobody's no. <laughs> teaching us how to establish positive, healthy sleep relationships, nor are they, at least nobody taught me like healthy boundaries with our child. Like I feel I can only speak from my own experience, but I would love to share that just like as a way to, you know, deepen this conversation. I felt for myself, like everything you just said was all wrapped up. It's not just a matter of like, how do I get the baby to sleep? It's it's meeting everybody's needs and my needs came last almost all of the time. And it's, it's been a struggle since becoming a mother of like, you know, because my kids want all of their needs met slash need all of their needs met, but what, what's a want and what's a need is like two different <laughs> things, you know? Um, and it is, it's this, this thing where, yeah, I, I would pull my baby into my bed with me and for a really long time that worked. So I would be the person that's like, yeah, co-sleeping. It's amazing. Bed sharing. It's amazing. And it was, it, it's my, it was just the only thing that worked for us when, when I had infants. Um, but I, I love to share that like my last baby was harder to get out of the bed. She's five and a half. And she just like four or five months ago, just stopped sleeping in the bed because like you said, there's that moment. It's almost, it's very similar to weaning with breastfeeding. It's like, it's totally fine. If you guys want to nurse a nurse, but there's almost always a point where the mother's like, okay, I've had, <laughs> I've had enough. And some people reach that really early 
And some people reach that when your kid is five and kicking you (laughs) in the middle of the night and you're just like, okay, please go sleep in your bed. So how do we, how do we kind of like bring that nuance back into the conversation? Because if you talk to people, if you read books, you know, you, you get this sense of like, if you do anything less than meeting every single need, every single cry, every single response, and you're not becoming completely and totally attached and, and nurturing every emotional need from your child, mm-hmm. and you're doing it wrong or bad, or you're not an excellent parent. And that messaging mm-hmm. was strong for me. Like, and it, it deepened my anxiety and it became the cycle of like, I need to respond so, so much to them. How do we balance that? Yeah, I think that's the word, isn't it? It's a balance that you're, you're, you really need to find a balance when you're parenting so that you definitely want to meet your child's needs. They, that, that's absolutely important, but yours are too. And there's a point where a need, it gets a little fuzzy in terms of, is this a need or a want? And not to discount wants, wants are fine too, but, but when we're talking about a sleep deprived parent who is up every hour or two hours at night and who can't really function in the day because they're up so much at night, then I think you have to start to shift to, okay, I, I feel very deeply attached to this child. I know it's important to, to have this strong emotional connect, connection. That's absolutely important. And I need to sleep as well. Yeah. So, I, so that balance, right? You're really kind of looking at both. You can't just say the child is the only important thing here because without you in the, in the mix, you know, no, then nobody's needs get met. So <laughs> if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Is that the phrase? Like, it's just, you gotta, you gotta put your own oxygen mask on first. I think one of the shifts that happened for me, um, and I had, I had the, like with my first baby, the worst of both worlds in terms of information, because I was told I would kill my child if I slept in a bed with them and also, you know, meet every single need. So I was doing, I was doing like, you know, the sleeping recliners because I thought that was safer. It was not safer. I wasn't, I didn't have the tools I need, but it's part of what, you know, drives me to do this work now is that like, we need to get really high quality information to people. So, and one of the things that really shifted me in deep in my anxiety that I didn't know I had the postpartum anxiety, the caring, 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 the overextend, maybe not overextending, but extending myself to the point of burnout for my infant was, reading a book. It was, um, you probably know it. It's bringing up baby by Pamela Druckerman. She's Uh a woman who moved to Paris and, and shared her parenting experience there. And it was wild. And there was this, they talk a lot about sleep in that book and La Paz never really worked for me, but that's okay. But the thing that I got from the book was this shift from training, like training something into my child, being mean to my child, versus teaching that I needed to teach him how to sleep. And it was this subtle shift in perspective that suddenly I, it was like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Cause yes, I want to meet every single need of my child, but I'm also raising a future adult. And there's that balance of like, <laughs> yes, I want you to feel loved and connected, but I also don't want the situation where you can't sleep, you know, through the night. And, and it was, it was a very 
quick shift. And as soon as we um, shifted our minds, it was like one night he cried for 20 minutes and then he slept for 12 hours. And I was like, oh, because by that point he wasn't four months old. He was like a year old, you know? So it was really different. And I think long overdue for our family, at least. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's what is so important to pay attention to is what is going to work for your family. And, and what do you know about this child of yours? And I think that learning is an absolute important distinction to make that and I don't think of myself as a sleep trainer I'm not training babies to sleep it's sleep learning so we're, we're opening up opportunities for babies to learn how to settle themselves and that doesn't mean you have to leave them to cry it out for long periods of time sometimes 10 minutes is is all it takes and it's not leaving a baby to scream hysterically till they throw up it's that I don't know what to do. What do I do? Ah. And then the hand comes to the mouth or the hand goes to the ear or the head starts to turn. And these are all things that babies can find their way to do to figure out how they're gonna settle themselves into sleep. So it's, it's opening up opportunities for babies to learn how to settle, but not to the point that you're leaving them in distress. Yes. It's a fine line for sure. It how, is. How, can you just walk me through, like, what does it look like when you have a parent? Well, we can use me as an example. I don't, you know, I don't feel safe bed sharing, although he did end up in my bed, but I need him to sleep for longer chunks at night. He's 11 months old. Like, wh where do you even begin assessing and recommending? I know you yeah. can't give specifics, but just yeah. generally, like, what is your approach? Yeah, so I... I, I like to start with um, a video call like this, a Zoom call or a FaceTime call, um, because it, it's helpful for me to one, see this space that baby's sleeping in, whether it's a bassinet next to the bed or the bed that you're sharing or the crib, baby's room, super helpful for me to, to get a sense of the space that, that baby's in. And then to meet the parents and baby, if possible, it's really helpful for me to get a feel for who this baby is. Um, so it's nice to be able to do a visual call um, so that we can connect that way. Um, and then to really talk through in detail, what are you doing? Get baby to sleep. What is your sleep process? And, and then we can start to pull it apart and say, okay, well, let's see if we can work on this piece. Um, you know how how would it be for you if you did your sleep routine and then put baby down awake for a period of time and again not to leave baby to scream hysterically but just to get used to being put down awake and and so then we kind of go through a sleep plan together we come up with a plan together so it's not me telling you hey listen you've got to do x y and z or your baby's never going to sleep it's <laughs> it's let's come up with something how, what do you think? How does this sound to you? Because ultimately it's the parent that has to do the work. Mm, yeah. So my yeah. job is to offer support, but your job is, is to do the steps and to figure out what those steps are going to be and what feels sustainable. Um, because what we also know about learning is that repetition is a, is a, is a key part of how we integrate new information mm. and being consistent and having the having a plan helps you 
think about something in a more consistent way. So you're not at 2 a.m. in the morning going, oh, what do I do? How do I do this? Ah. You've got this, somebody who said, okay, so this is, this is what you do when your baby wakes up. Here are the steps. What do you think about that? How's that sound to you? Oh, okay, that works. Okay, so then, the, that, then you know what to do at 2 a.m. in the morning. Right, um, which, is, which is actually how babies and children and humans learn, right? It's just through repetition. They thrive on structure and boundaries and understanding what's going to happen next. Yes. <laughs> Especially and our higher needs babies, which my oldest son was absolutely, he was, he was just, there's, I love that you said you want to meet the babies. There's just different types of babies. There's some babies. I have friends who wanted to co-sleep, who wanted to bed share. They had this whole vision of how it would go. And then their babies didn't sleep well in the bed with them and wanted to be in a separate sleep space. So there's just, there's really different personalities with babies. Right from the get-go. Yes. Right from the beginning, there's, there's temperament and there's, you know, personality. It's right there. So I think it's really important to really look at it from who is this baby mm-hmm. and who am I as a parent? And so books, books can be really helpful resources, but they don't, they aren't talking about your baby and they're not talking about your family. And that's where a, a consultant or coach can be really helpful because I'm, I'm going to, you know, the, the information, it's not rocket science. The, the information is all out there, but I can put it together in a way that, that, is streamlined for you and your baby. And and then to offer that support, that ongoing support, which I think is what makes this valuable and doable is it's not just let me give you a plan, see you later, good luck. It's okay, here you go and let's check in tomorrow and let's check in the next day and the next day. And how did it go last night? Oh, okay, well, let's see what we can do to, to nudge this along. What do we need to, to alter a change if this isn't really working? Um, so it's, it's a living, breathing process. It's not just a plan where you insert baby into this plan and, you know, hey, good luck with that. It's let's work with this. It's a work in progress. Um, I yeah. love that. And it's ever shifting. I mean, so many of our needs, specifically sleep needs, but it's constantly shifting. A baby has sleep challenges at six weeks and then four months and then, you know, and eight months, there's all these developmental milestones that are wrapped up in our sleep needs. Um, One thing I want to ask about is breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and sleep Mm -hmm. because there are physiological differences in babies who are breastfed. They're, they're, more efficiently, you know, breast milk is made for babies. And, and so their bodies are digesting it and they're hungry again in a few hours, in mm-hmm. maybe two hours, three hours and formula fed babies seem to sleep longer. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, is this a myth? Is this a perception? Uh, what is your experience with breastfeeding? Is it possible? I, I guess my question would be for people who are listening to this, who are pregnant or, you know, our birth workers who are supporting families, what are the expectations for infant sleep according to age? And does it matter if you're breastfeeding or formula feeding or some combination? What does that look like as you're consulting with families about sleep? Yeah, I think it does matter. I think it, I think there's often a difference in, and I think it's important to give parents a realistic expectation. 
of what sleep's gonna look like at different ages and stages. And so a six week old baby gonna talk about different things at six weeks than we are at six months or 16 months. Um, and the needs of a six week old are to be fed frequently, that their tummies are small and they don't have the, the ability to self settle and soothe. So we're gonna offer lots of support to a six week old and to help parents recognize that, that this is normal baby behavior rather than thinking there's something wrong with your six week old that they're not sleeping eight hours at night or, or 12 hours, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but <laughs> you heard it from the 35 year professional. It is ridiculous. Yeah, well, exactly. I have to say, you know, I know people that say their babies sleep, you know, from three months, they sleep for 12 hours a night and I'm yeah. happy for my friends. Yeah. I also did not get that baby. Yeah. yeah most all. people don't. So yeah. that there are some babies that will sleep long stretches. Um, and they're typically babies who are taking in a lot of milk throughout the day so that they can go long stretches at night. Um, there just are some babies like that, but the majority of them are not gonna sleep like that. Mm -hmm. And so some of, some of my job is to, is to create realistic expectations of how this is gonna go. And I think that breastfed babies tend to need to eat more frequently. And it, the, the thing that, that, that can happen is it's one thing to nurse a baby, put baby down and everybody goes back to sleep. It's another when you nurse and then you're bouncing for 30 minutes and then you try and put baby down and baby won't stay down and then you're back to bouncing for 30 minutes. You know, th that's where it, whether you're bottle feeding or breastfeeding, if you're doing all that to get baby back to sleep, then that's what we're looking at. Um, so it's both the, how are you feeding your baby? How much is baby taking in, whether it's through ounces or it's how many times baby's at the breast? Um, how often is baby eating throughout the day? Because that's often where we, we don't realize it. If, if baby's not taking in that much throughout the day, they're going to make up for it at night. They'll, they'll make up for it. They're smart little beings and they know how to get their needs met. And so if they don't eat enough in the daytime, they'll, they'll ask to eat at night. Which actually, as you're saying that, I mean, babies are incredibly intelligent and resilient huh. little things. Thank goodness. So we can all learn a lesson from <laughs> babies and children generally, yes. especially yes. watching them navigate this pandemic. I'm like, I'm getting all caught up on, you know, these things and the children are just absolutely resilient, yeah. flexible in such incredible ways. Um, but I'm thinking about one of the other challenges that mothers face, specifically working mothers, which is reverse cycling. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, that's where you get into kind of a good rhythm of being awake during the daytime and feeding during the daytime and doing most of your sleeping, at, uh, you know, and not feeding overnight. And then you go back to work and baby starts waking up overnight. Can you talk a little bit about why that happens, what it is, and what we can do about it? Yeah, so the transition back to work is often hardest on mama because it's a, it's a huge shift from, you know, being very focused on baby's care to then having to use your brain in another way for, for work. Um, and not to say parenting isn't work, it absolutely is, but it's a different kind of work. And and it requires 
a different kind of thinking. And when you have to shift gears from the work you do at home to the work you do, whether it's home in your office or home, or I mean, work you go out to do or work you do in, in your home office, it's still a different kind of thinking that you're doing. And, and so it, it takes some time to adjust to that. Um, and it does for kiddos too, for babies as well. If they're used to this ongoing, you know, connection with parents where they're, they can nurse sort of every two hours, they're there whenever they, whenever they're fussy, they're at the breast to, well, hey, mama's not here. So I got to wait until evening time and then nighttime to, to, to catch up on the, on the feeds and the connection. Mm. Um, so I think that it's really about knowing that that transition is just, it's a natural part of making that shift and letting yourself have that time, letting baby have that time, and then getting to, to where you're paying attention to how much baby is taking in during the day. So a lot of times what can happen is at the, around the same, uh, the time that parents are going back to work, babies are more distracted eaters. So if you have a six month old who was a really great at nursing and nursing really well, and then all of a sudden they're like, nurse, nurse, oh, what's that? What's that noise? Oh, I just heard something. Oh, never mind, never mind. I don't want to nurse anymore. Let's go check that out. <laughs> and I'm then you're laughing because I mean, if anyone who's been a breastfeeding mother knows, like they pop off the breast like mid letdown, your nipple is exposed <laughs> to whoever's around and sometimes is shooting milk across the room because <laughs> your six month old saw something that they needed to, to investigate. That's right. Yep. <laughs> So if you have a distracted eater in the day, they're gonna wanna eat more at night. And I think that, that it then comes down to trying to find ways to help babies take in more in the daytime um, so that they can get back to sleeping longer stretches at night. Um, and often I found that feeding after a nap works well because baby is still sleepy. It's the room is still dark. There's nothing really going on. It's often a, a good time for babies to get a good feed in. Um, but so after a nap is a good time to, to, to feed um, so that babies can start to get in enough calories in the day so they can go longer stretches at night. Wonderful. I'm wondering if you could share with me over the course of all of the work, all of the families you've supported, are there major things that people seem to be missing or like, what are the, what are the most common threads? Obviously it's really individual, but I'm sure that you're seeing kind of again and again, the same basic sleep hygiene and sleep routine uh, mistakes being made. Can you share a few of those with us? If you don't yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Probably the biggest one is, and be careful how I say this, we so want to help our babies fall asleep peacefully and easily and without much struggle. And I get that, I did it too. <laughs> so we, we nurse our babies to sleep, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, we rock our babies to sleep, again, totally fine hold our babies until they're asleep and then transfer them in. But there's a point where if the association with sleep is nursing or feeding or rocking or holding, and then you, you've got your baby nice and asleep in your arms and you transfer them down and they wake up on that transfer, 
then then you set up this this dynamic where this is where baby wants to sleep and and expects to sleep and so so the biggest issue is how do we give over to baby the process of settling themselves into sleep rather than doing the work for them. And again, it's, I, I don't mean this as cry it out, that, that's, that, that you have to leave your baby to cry hysterically. But I think that trusting your baby can learn what they need to do to settle themselves to sleep is, is a lot of what I'm talking to parents about. So rather than feeling like I can't do it any other way, I have to do it this way, trust that your baby knows how to settle themselves and can learn how to do that. So put your baby down awake. Mm -hmm. And not all crying means they're in distress. So when you put a baby down awake and they go, ah, and they're fussy and they're, and they're yelling and their hands are going all over the place and they're kicking and they're, they look like, how's this kid gonna fall asleep? It's a very active process when, when you put a baby down awake. If they aren't too overtired, if they, if they have an opportunity in, to, to figure out what to do without moving into being overwhelmed by it. Mm. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen where babies go, ah, hands go to the mouth, head starts to turn. And then eventually they drift off. So it's, it's some of it is about trusting our kids can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that it's very possible that you can put your baby down awake and they can learn what to do. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't help them. It doesn't mean you can't nurse or rock. It just means that if those things aren't working anymore, it's okay to put your baby down Mm. and to give them a chance to figure out what to do. Is there a certain age that you recommend? Like, I guess my question would be somebody who's listening to this and is pregnant and thinks, yeah, I'd love to teach my baby that. Like, do you start right out of the womb or are you, you know, can you spoil a newborn? Is there a limiting that has to happen? Do you wait until they're six months? Like, is there a developmental stage that's appropriate to start sort of these techniques? Yeah. So, so my feeling is in, in the first three months, babies really need a lot of support and they're, you will not spoil a baby by responding to them. You're not going to spoil your baby by holding them and kissing them and cuddling them and feeding them and, and responding to their needs. You are, that is not going to happen. Nor are you gonna set up such bad sleep habits that you can't work with them. I think that in the beginning, everybody needs to, to get as much sleep as they can, but knowing that babies wake frequently. And so how do we support mamas in getting as much sleep as, as she can so that she can really be there for baby? Um, by about two, between two and three months is often when we transition babies out of a swaddle. And that's when you can start to give babies a chance to be put down awake and and begin to figure out what to do. It doesn't mean you're leaving baby for long. It's maybe a minute. Mm. And it's just, you're, so you're, you're beginning this idea of, here, let me do a, a sequence of activities that cues baby it's time for sleep. And let me put you down awake and give you a minute to see how that feels. 
And if baby gets overwhelmed or upset, that's no problem. I'm picking you up and I'm going to help you settle. Mm. And each time you do that, as baby gets older and is able to find their hands by three months, often babies are grasping their own hands and bringing them to their mouths. They'll start to figure out things to do to settle. So I think that that really it's a progression. It's not a, it's not, you have to start at this time or it won't ever happen. I don't think there is any time that you can't help a baby learn to sleep. I've worked with toddlers um, who've never really had an opportunity to settle themselves to sleep and they learn how to do it. Um, so I think that it's really more about, you know, knowing that in the first two to three months, babies need lots of support. And as they get older, you give them more opportunities to figure out how to settle themselves, knowing that there's all these developmental shifts that happen, especially in the first year, there's huge change that goes on. So the expectations are that sleep is not going to, you're not going to fix sleep. You're not going to get it and then never have to work on it again. <laughs> it just doesn't go like that. Um, you know, there's, there's huge change that happens. And with, with change, often sleep falls apart again. And then you put, you know, you work on it again until it feels like baby's got it. And then you get through another period of time where it sleeps better. And then it kind of gets wobbly again. It's kind of a long-winded answer. I don't think it's about at six months we sleep train because um, we're not sleep training. It's about sleep learning. Which um, is an ongoing process for mother and parents and baby. Um, has there ever been a baby or a family that you've worked with and it's just not working, whether there's a medical reason where there's reflux or the baby's just not ready or the parents aren't ready. Talk to me about the people this isn't working for, or that it's not as simple as leaving. Like where, where are the more difficult cases that you've worked with? Yeah, I think that when, when, there's a child, whether it's a, an eight month old or an 18 month old where separation anxiety is really, really strong. It takes longer. And, and for most families that I've worked with, sleep gets better. It's not that, you know, it may not be that your baby's sleeping through the night, but sleep generally gets better. But if there's a tremendous amount of separation anxiety, it's a slow go because we, we, don't want to push too hard with a kiddo who is, who is really struggling with separation anxiety. And especially when a parent is also, you know, feeling that as well. If, if, if there's a, a parent who cannot stand the sound of their baby crying, just absolutely sends them off the deep end. Um, and they just need to respond to every sound that baby makes um, and have a really hard time letting baby fuss a bit or figure out what to do, um, then it's, it's a much harder process. So how do we know a baby has separation anxiety? Is that something you're seeing just during the sleep training and sleep consults or is it personality? Like how do we identify that in our children? It's a developmental process. So it's, it, for, almost all kiddos, you can see them go through this. And it, it's often hits around eight or nine months. Um, it's, it's a developmental step where a, a, a baby realizes they're, sep they're a separate being from their mama. 
oh my gosh, you can leave me? What? And then there's that, then at least this is my sense is there's a feeling that goes with that. And then the, there's a reaction to that feeling. Ah, you're leaving. No, you can't leave. I, I'm, I, I don't want you to leave. And so then mama comes back and, oh, okay, okay. You, so there's this, this developmental process that babies go through, uh, learning that a parent goes away, they come back that the baby is a separate being from a parent and that they have to learn to feel safe in themselves. And so it's, and, it, and it's a cyclical process. It's not just a baby gets it at eight months and then they're done. Often it comes back around when there's big developmental steps, when babies learn to walk or when baby's language starts to really explode, they often become more what we call regressed or clingy. And that's, a, that's often a time where a child is learning something new and they need that reassurance and support that, oh, okay, I, I guess this is okay, right? Ah. And, and so by, by responding and supporting a baby at whatever stage they're going through separation anxiety, you, you help them integrate new experiences and trust that they're safe and that they're okay and that their parent goes away, but they come back. So I think that that, that, that process, that experience of a, a child learning that they're separate and that they're safe and that, that they can be okay even if a parent isn't there is a huge part of learning how to sleep independently too, right? So if you I put mean, your baby down. Up, like this idea of self and safety. I know some adults that are still working on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you are a parent who's had a difficult childhood and you didn't feel safe in your childhood, or you just felt that very intense separation from a parent, when your own kids hit that stage, it can bring up a lot of stuff um, for you as well. So it, it's, it's all sort of mixed in there, isn't it? It's a, it's not a very, it, it's a pretty messy deal, this parenting thing. <laughs> it really is, Elizabeth. It really is. And I'm so grateful that there are people like you helping parents navigate uh, this sort of thing, because it's not straightforward. It's not as simple as cry it out or don't cry it out or bed share or crib sleeping. Like it is, as this conversation has shown, it is messy it is rooted in our own trauma. It is rooted in children, like figuring things out in a, in a really deep sort of a way that is not as black and white as it might appear in terms of like, are you sleeping? Are you not? Right. Discovering your sense of self and feeling safe in that is like, that's just, that kind of blew my mind right there. That's huge. It no is. wonder these poor babies are having a hard time sleeping. Exactly. Wow. That's wonderful. So what are you seeing and hearing from families? Like how do, how are you exiting that relationship and what is for you? Maybe, I guess I'm putting words into your mouth, but like what's the best part of, of seeing that success? What, what is on the other side of it? Cause it can feel really heavy to think about, you know, this emotional attachment and failing our children and balancing our needs. This is all really heavy stuff. Not to mention that like woven through all of that, it's just pure sleep deprivation for yes. mothers and parents, which is really difficult to handle. So with all of that, show us the other side. What does it look like when you're 
ending your relationship with families or are you tell me tell me a little bit about like the kid has learned how to sleep there has been some sort of breakthrough what happens next what are you seeing yeah so it's you you named it it's when a parent goes from being so sleep deprived that they that they just can't think straight to feeling some ground underneath them and a sense of oh okay i i i think i can figure this out and that to me that's the that's the part that makes me feel like a a, a job well done when it's not that i'm going to be able to fix this it's if i give you tools that you then feel like you can take forward, we're good to go. And, and that's really what this is about is not me telling you what to do. It's how can I help you find the solutions that work for you? Because the next time your baby has trouble sleep, you'll, you'll have some ideas of how to, how to work with it. And, and so for, for me, it's more about the, the primary one is if a parent starts to feel better. Mm. right if a mama starts to feel like you know and again as you well know it's not like you go from complete sleep deprivation to oh you know what i i don't have any trouble or worries in the world you still got a kiddo and there's still going to be challenges but where a parent feels like they they've got some ground under them and they've got some sleep under their belt and they start to feel like their brain works um and and they can start to problem solve that's really um, a huge part of, of what feels like, okay, this, this was helpful. Um, it really, yeah. to, to help parents feel like they have ground underneath them. I remember feeling so clearly, it's like, remember feeling at night, like when I was about to go to bed, this feeling of anxiety would like wash over me of like, oh, God, I'm not going to be able to sleep. You know, like you're just this feeling of you never get a break that this is 24 seven, 365 days a year. It was, it was a really tough trapped feeling. So the idea of restoring some stability and some calm and some true rest into families and into mothers' lives is really profound work. And I'm really glad that you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> and this is why we're doing Be Her Village, right? Because how impactful is giving the gift of a sleep consultant, somebody to make that shift happen for your baby and yourself and your family versus baby blankets and crib bumpers and bottles and all the stuff. And that's, that's the heart of it right there, Elizabeth. And I'm so grateful for you to be part of our Be Her Village community and for you coming on here today and talking to me about this, because this is, this is revolutionary stuff right here. This is what every mother deserves. It just is. Every parent, anybody who's caring for a newborn deserves support like this. And, and we're going to make it happen. Well, How thank you. Can, of course, <laughs> besides finding you on Be Her Village, how can people be in touch with you? Um, yeah, my website is earlyparentingsleepsupport.com. That's a good place to start. Um, and email is elizabeth at earlyparentingsleepsupport.com. It's a long name. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to say though. And we'll put it in the show notes and everything. So wonderful. Yeah, so that's the best way to, to get in touch. And um, yeah. 
Happy to hear from people. I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you, Caitlin, for this opportunity. It really, really a pleasure talking. Same, Elizabeth, same. Thank you.